Hello and welcome back to the Legal Cut Pro Podcast, a Canadian entertainment law podcast. My name is Greg Pang. And I'm Michelle Molyneux. And this is a special intro recording to be appended to a recording of a panel that I did in April 2018 in Calgary at the Calgary Comic Expo. And the panel was, my co-panelists were a writer named Axel Howerton, a defense lawyer, a career defense lawyer, Andrew Stewart, and Crown Prosecutor Adam Drew. And the subject of the panel was, the title was, Do You Defend the Defenders? And essentially, we talked about all the legal issues in the various Marvel Netflix um, superhero series, you know, Jessica Ooh. Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Fist, and, and The Punisher. So so we had, oh, actually, no, The Punisher, I'm not sure if it came out by then. But anyway, so, so yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So... The audio is not very good, but uh, I thought we'd post it for you anyways as some further content for this podcast, and so we hope you enjoy. Awesome. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Gregory Pang, and welcome to the Do You Defend the Defenders panel in analysis in legal analysis and the legal uh, issues in the various Netflix Marvel series. Uh, again, my name is Gregory Pang, and I'll introduce my panelists to my left of me here. Um, and as I introduce you, if you don't mind, just tell me wh- who's your favorite character in these different series and, and why. Just one sentence. Uh, so directly to my left is Adam Drew. He is a Crown Prosecutor here in Calgary. Uh, and <laughs> Since 2010 and worked in criminal defense prior to that. So, Adam, who is your favorite character in these series? That's a really good question. Uh, let's go with Jerry Hogarth because it's good to have lawyers represented somewhat positively on TV. <laughs> have you seen the season two of Jessica Jones? Yeah, that's pretty positive for, for TV lawyers. Are you positive? I engineered an overly elaborate revenge plot implicating murders on two people. That's we're, good. we're lawyers, so even the word, the term positively is, is oh, yeah, malleable. Yeah, right? we, so, I used to yeah. be yeah. <laughs> Um, and this is uh, two, two to my left is left Andrew. To my left. left to my left is Andrew Stewart, who is a criminal defense lawyer with mm, the right. firm uh, Zuck Stewart Edgit Criminal Barristers here in Calgary. Let's let's tell Jim that it's Edgit. Yeah, Edgit. Okay. <laughs> so who is your favorite character in this series? Andrew? So my favorite character is probably Luke Cage, um, and that's because like Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, nice, he's, good he's, answer. He's cool and finally, or, or and finally, to the far left is Axel Howerton, who is a former entertainment journalist, crime novelist, and the Arthur Ellis Award nom- and an Arthur Om- Ellis Award nominated author. So he's the non-lawyer in this panel, and he's going to tell us why us law nerds are getting it all wrong when, as we go on a rant here. Axel, so who is your favorite character? Uh, I, I would probably have to go with Luke Cage as well, just on account of the. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. And as for myself, uh, again, my name is Gregory Pang. Um, I am uh, with a firm called Red Frame Law, and I am an intellectual property lawyer and entertainment lawyer in Edmonton. Um, And my favorite character has got to be Matt Murdock, uh, because. And I would have, I, I cosplay, obviously I'm not cosplaying as Matt Murdock today. Uh, I, I can't do Matt Murdock. I, I can't grow scruff. You know, 
know, so, so I, I just can't properly, yeah, so that's right, yeah, I, I can put fake scruff on, but that would look really weird, so, yeah. Um, so anyway, let's, let's begin, but before we begin, we have a disclaimer that Andrew would like to read for us. Ladies and gentlemen, the following discussion is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a legal opinion or legal advice. The views expressed during this panel are not reflective of our respective employers or the Law Society of Alberta. All anecdotes expressed in this panel are fictitious. Any resemblance to any person living or dead is entirely coincidental. While some members of this panel are lawyers, we are not your lawyer. And this panel does not constitute the formation of solicitor client relationship. We can do that later at my office with the appropriate retainer. Thank you. And, and obviously, these series take place in New York, uh, and we're not American lawyers, but so, so we're going to discuss everything in the lens, through the lens of Canadian law. Uh, as is applicable to the situations here. So let's, uh, let's uh, jump right, oh, before I uh, advance to the next slide, just a quick special thanks to the, the Legal Geeks, which is a blog at thelegalgeeks.com. Um, and Josh Gilliland of Legal Geeks gave me permission to use, this is their idea for this panel that they did at the San Francisco Comic Con, and he gave me uh, express permission to steal that idea from him, from him to run this panel here. So. That's right, yeah, yes, hopefully we can, that's right, yeah. So let's, uh, so let's get started first. So um, we're not going to discuss everything in, in that series because this is like a whole buffet of legal issues that we can pick from. Um, we're just going to do the ones that we find most interesting, and we're going to be mainly heavy on Daredevil and I think Jessica Jones because Jessica Jones season two is the latest one to drop. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You haven't seen Jessica Jones season two. Oh, spoiler alert. Of course, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No Marvel Infinity Please don't. Yeah. I did go see yesterday, and I do recommend. I do recommend. So let's talk about Matt Murdock here, the first vigilante in the Marvel Netflix franchise. Um, and this is something that uh, I actually want to open it up by ax asking Axel as, as the writer. And you've written uh, a book about, uh, uh, at least on, on, on partly on the topic of vigilantism. Uh, what, or at least the character who is. This book right here, which is my last novel, um, it's called Conmore Tape. It's with death. People seem to get confused by the fact that it has a where can you get it? You can get it at my table, uh, booth 1420 at the Center, Hop Press, uh, which is my press, but that's mine. Sorry, what was the Okay, the, the question is, so why are vigilantes so cheered, so uh, brought to heroic levels in, in, well, I mean, in comic books since the beginning of comic books, and uh, obviously in these series? Like, uh, I, I think it's, it's a natural human response. Everybody in here, I'm sure, you have, you know, you get frustrated in your life. You wish that there were things you could do. You wish there weren't constraints on you. That there weren't rules necessarily that had to bind you in and keep you from just doing what you want to do. Um, so we all have those moments where we wish we could just punch that guy in the face or just drive our car through the middle of the traffic jam uh, and run people off into pylons. From, uh, from a dramatic perspective, from a writer's perspective, those are characters that people are going to immediately be invested and interested in and people, they're going to be characters that people will relate to because it's somebody that is 
taking charge of the situation, taking control of things for themselves, and you know, creating their own manifest destiny instead of just letting things happen to them, having to just react to the terrible things that keep happening over and over, and you know, life is wearing you down, and you got bills to pay, and you know, yada yada yada. Instead of that, somebody's just breaking out of society and deciding that's enough. I'm going to fix this. And we all have that urge that we want to do that, but then we have these laws that make us go, well, I don't really want to go to jail this week. Well, it's like, it's like that old saying, right? Like, the older you get, the more you identify with the main character falling down as being the good guy, not the bad guy. Like, when I saw it as a younger person, I was like, that guy makes no sense. As an older person, I'm like, he makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to cosplay that Man, I, I, the, I, I disagree with that guy in wherever you are. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, direction. But that, I mean, that probably, as, as the person on the, the order side. That's right. Right? That's uh, my, my archetype is is the, the rule-bound person. I'm just thinking of defenses. When yeah. he's doing his stuff, I'm like mental break, like automaton. Like he's, he, I'll get him off. It's, you know, and watching that movie now, and this is total uh, I side, but watching that now from, from you know, in a post-Black um, uh, Lives Matter era is very different. He's, he's a very toxic stereotype. Oh, yeah, no. It's like, it's scary. Anyway, that's okay. a different thing. Thank you. Thank you. Now, now talking about Matt Murdock. Yeah. Hey, so he's, <laughs> so he goes out at night and beats up people. He saves people. Allegedly. Now, allegedly saves people. <laughs> no, no, no. He saves people. Allegedly beats them up. Allegedly beats them up. Now, from a criminal law perspective, what kind of issues are raised? And either we can jump in. Uh, well, my first, the first thing that jumps to my mind is, is he a state agent? Because what he's doing... No, I, oh, I, no, I, okay, okay. So Daredevil beats a guy up, and then the police arrest him, and I want to run that statement that he makes oh, the police in court. Well, this is similar to in real life with uh, the creep catcher stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, no. And, and we prosecute the creep catcher because really what they're doing is not... No, it's bad. It's not good. Because if you... So it, we have a charter of rights, and one of the things that the police are not allowed to do is beat a confession out of somebody. So if someone who is not a cop but is acting on the side of the cops beats a confession out of somebody... I can't use that evidence. It's garbage evidence. Your Honor, this evidence is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Ah, so it's problematic. It's very, yeah, it's challenging. And the first question would be, is he a state agent? Is he, is he even though he's not working for the police, is he doing their job for them? And thus, is the court going to say, well, he's a state agent then? So it's, it's very interesting because, again, um, on this topic, there's the, what is it, the Rainy City Defenders down in Seattle? Do any of you guys know about that? Like Kenny Jones? You guys? Yeah. yeah. So Kenny Jones, aka a professional MMA fighter. Whoops. Um, he goes around and he just, just, just kind of does like, not 911 calls, but he's like, oh, he's just walking the street in costume because that's his deal. That's cool. And, you know, if he sees people like doing bad stuff, he just calls cops. But what's interesting in Seattle is they have what's called a mutual combat law. So <laughs> as long as you're not wearing shoes and you don't have any weapons, you can say someone, in like the presence of the police even, I want to fight you. The other guy goes, I'll fight you too. And now it's on and it's totally legal. Like it's the most insane thing ever. No, I swear, look it up. Mutual combat law in Washington State. And it's preserved because they're filming this guy and he's Phoenix Jones. He's just like very athletic, very well-trained dude in a costume, which is berserk in real life, and he's walking down, and then some guy takes issue with this, and he's like, I challenge you mutual combat, says Phoenix Jones, and the guy's like, uh, okay, and then it's like, wham, leg kick, and the guy's like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, I'm done, and down he goes, and, like, and the cops are like right there, and they're like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh my god, this is Oh, this is 
amazing. Press up a point with, you know, again, going back to writerly perspective on that. Um, most people don't have a legal degree, they don't have legal experience. Oh boy, let me tell you. We're taking our we're taking our ideas and our perceptions of how these things work from TV and movies and you know, most of it's American TV and movies, and they have a much greater obsession with uh, the idea of self-preservation and you know being able to defend themselves than Canadians do. And we've kind of been soaked in that to the point where we actually believe that it's okay if you know if somebody comes at us. Well, I can just you know I can kill this guy. I can shoot somebody that's breaking into my house. I can beat this guy down because he offended me, right? And we think that we're justified because that's what we see on TV. That's what we see in movies. So when when writers are writing something like Daredevil, you know there's there's a little bit of leeway that they give themselves because Matt Murdock's a lawyer. But <laughs> but at the same time, you know the writers aren't lawyers usually either, so they're probably you know just thinking, well, you know, John Wayne can do it. So as as a lawyer, do you think that if Matt Murdock, wherever his identity were to be exposed, would that be conduct unbecoming of a lawyer and worthy of discipline by the law society? Wait, wait, are you asking if Matt Murdock going out in the street in the dark and beating up people who are suspected of committing crimes, unproven, have, are suspected of committing crimes, would be conduct unbecoming a lawyer? Dear law society. Dear law society, yes, my vote is yes. Dear law society, my client is blind. There's no possible way you could have beat up those people if you wanted to. He's blind! How do we do that? Does that make sense? So, so the Marvel Netflix is a corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it is the world where Thor exists. That's old man. Like the law, like, like generally speaking, the law breaks down with superheroes. Generally, like there's this kind of um, what would it be like rule zero, and like the law assumes that everyone more or less has no superpowers. <laughs> no, seriously, people do these crazy things. Like I have a shape-shifting person. All identity. I'll do this just very carefully. All identity. Um, what? I'm a shape shifter. I can be anyone I want. Like, how are you going to prove identity ever? Ever. How many times has Jean Grey had to reapply for her driver's license? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going back and forth. You know, I'm all trying to travel. Oh my god. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, yeah, I mean, let's, let's move on. Assume. Yeah. <laughs> the, the next slide. Um, I put up is, is a slide where Foggy and Matt first meet Karen Page yes. in, in season one, uh, early on, uh, when she's in jail. Now, in the in the states, I don't think we have something in our con code of conduct that specifically prohibits this, but solicitation. Well, okay. Okay. So, I would you look, okay, would you would you ever go into jail and try to find a client and say, hey? Okay. You know. So here's how it works. And although some of my colleagues may disagree, we think they're assholes. Did you guys hear that? Um, so the way it works is that if someone is represented by counsel, you can't like chicken hawk them or scoop them or whatever right. you want to call them. Right. Yep. If they're unrepresented, then like you got to go to where the clients are. Hey, it's jail. There's going to be lots of clients there. So maybe you kind of do that. Um, it is frowned upon um, a little bit, but I mean, again, like if you're there on other reasons or you're broke like Matt and Senor Foggy, I mean, hey, you got to hustle, right? Um, the only thing is that you cannot. You cannot um, scoop clients. So if they were to go like, hey, you have a lawyer, and they go, yeah, my lawyer's like Steve, and you go, okay, well, Sayonara, I have to tell you, I can't talk to you until you formally terminate the relationship between your existing lawyer and yourself. We can get into that with uh, Jerry Hogarth in oh, season yeah. two. So, so let's let's uh, let, let's move on here to I think uh, something that we'll have a lot to talk about is the People versus Frank Castle and the trial of Frank Castle. 
So I have a lot of notes about this, but um, if you... Uh, Do we have a clip? We can, uh, the, the, okay. no, well, we can, well, the, yeah, the, the, the clip, uh, the audio, and, yeah. Okay, so, let's talk about the fr- trial of Frank Castle. Now, like I said, I, I have a lot of notes about this, but why don't we just dive right into this? So, is it ever made clear how long... Because there's something about them applying for an expedited, expedited trial. Like a week. A, a week. So right now, we're booking serious matters in the Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta into what, early 2020? Oh, probably. For multi-week matters? Well, there's, so this would, there's no way. So this would be a multiple murder. Yeah. And it went to a jury, a judge and jury. So, like, you have a prelim. You can still get those, thank God. So that would be, like, honestly, from soup to nuts, from start to finish, you're probably looking at... At least 30 months. And, and if you waived prelim and we went right oh to arraignment God. and right to trial, we'd Dear still be. Si- yeah, <laughs> don't. No. But if you did, no, we no, would no. still be looking at. Like 20 months. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Bare minimum, two, probably a two year wait. Oh, yeah. And then we see the defense evidence on this case almost immediately. Like Frank Castle takes the stand <laughs> right away. Which means what? The, the defense just admitted the entire prosecution case. All the ballistics, all the eyewitnesses, yeah. all the CCTV. Yeah. Uh, we'll admit everything. Yeah, just please. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I actually did. I did run a trial recently. Did you did everything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love Wait, that. you said you said yes to quit. That's a problem. That's a real problem for you. Well, okay. So um, the the prosecution has the burden to bear. We have to prove our case beyond a reasonable doubt. So uh, my job is much harder than Andrew's job. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I have to call my whole case first. Every single witness I want, every single piece of evidence I want, I have to put it in front of the court, either the judge or the jury, and then at the end, I have to be able to say, before he's said even one word other than maybe some cross-examination, and Andrew's not a great cross-examiner, so we Oh, yeah, we got coming up. Um, so <clears throat> before he said much of anything, I have to be able to say to the court confidently, I have proven my case beyond a reasonable doubt, and if this was over, if defense was not going to call any evidence, I would have to be confident we could argue then and there. I don't know what evidence. So Matt Murdock went eight round. Yeah. Blistics. It goes in. It's in. Okay. All that murdery stuff. It goes in. Search warrants. Search. Oh yes. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Anything else you want? Uh, how about um, you want to admit that we that the police didn't mishandle uh, the person? We didn't. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Any DNA oh, yeah. reflected? So, yeah. Sure. Uh, the fact that I don't remember how was he arrested? Did he beat himself up or? He did. Yeah. yeah he surrendered. Yeah. In, no, the, in okay. the graveyard. But any yeah. confessions or any? Any confessions? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wrong. No the, the state psych report? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that one goes too. Yeah, goes I guess you want that. Yeah, I want that. No, you can see how insane that sounds. It's entertaining as it is here, the way these guys make it. Put that in a book or put it on the show, and it's three seasons before. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else is already dead yeah. from fighting Thanos. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Frank Castle still just sitting in the jail cell, so doesn't even know Frank Castle versus Thanos is also the shortest show in the Marvel Universe. Thanos never had a chance. So, I want to talk about this this particular scene that I took a screen cap of. Um, so much wrong with this. Uh, what would um, 
Okay, so before we dive into uh, Matt's uh, direct examination of what Frank Castle, <laughs> okay, we got a lot of okay, you see, you see those people in the background there? Yeah, oh yeah, posters, oh, yeah. protesters, posters, and posters. <laughs> what, what's the problem with protesters with signs? So. <laughs> do it with t-shirts, man. That's what they do. You can't put it in another scene outside. <laughs> so strictly you could, speaking, you could, you could cut that back and forth. It would, it would, be, it would be more confusing. You uh, had to put together yep. the people outside the castle. You just put them in there, in a room. Yeah. So the, the, trial, the, the trial court it's, is a public forum. An Any, anybody can come in and watch the trial unless they are a witness. They, if they're, if they're going to give evidence, they would be excluded. And that's something TV does wrong all the time, where witnesses oh, are sitting in the gallery during the trial, hearing everybody else's testimony, being like, oh, yeah, actually, no, I remember it that way now. I remember it that way, too. But this, so a judge in our courts, anyway, is allowed to do take whatever steps are necessary to control the process in their courtroom. So I just bumped that. I'm very sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, no, I'll, get, I'll get it back. I'll get it back. I'll get it back. And uh, yeah, this disruption, people with signs, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining any of our, our esteemed bench not taking that very well. They would, they would drop the hammer. Um, although we don't use gavels in uh, Canadian courts. That's one of the things I was like, oh, I'm going to get to hear the not guilty. And I doesn't ever work. It's a game of Although, as someone who occasionally draws the ire of the bench, I think we should all be happy that the judges don't have weapons. No, so so yeah, like the, the, the sign. I, I, in re-watching this, the signs thing jumped out at me immediately, which was catastrophically hilarious. I'm like, darn, that would never happen. Um, the next best part, though, is Matt, world's greatest. Lawyer? Question mark. Yeah. Who's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Oh god, um, Mr. Castle, I've got this sweet direct examination. So when that happens, I'm going to uh, basically the spotlight shines on my client, right? I don't want to be really interventionist. I don't want to ask a ton of questions in a specific matter because a, I can't leave, and b, the focus is on the client. He is telling his story in his language, his way, and basically what I remind him is. Remember, you gotta have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and try to make it as logical and as consistent as possible. If you Tarantino the thing all over the place, oh good, we got that reference. And then my client never do that. Then just serious. I say Tarantino sometimes. Hey, kid. No, some of I'm just yeah, being funny. Okay. Jeez. Don't know some of my jokes. I was so confused. What? You haven't been waiting your whole life for the Tarantino version of To Kill a Mockingbird? Oh, God. That one was pretty Just start. Uh, anyway, Samuel Jackson's attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, so, you want to, unlike what we're doing up here, which is a giant chaotic mess, want to have as consistent and logical start, middle, end as possible. And so, my job is like, well, you're here because of an event that occurred on the state. Why don't you tell us what happened? And then they're going to say that first little bit, and then I go, okay, then what happened? A little bit, and then they start talking really fast, and they get nervous, and I go, okay, slow down, please. Um, why don't we just go back and loop back to this thing he changed my story. So, what is Matt the greatest lawyer there was to do? He goes, okay, let's try this. Tell us your story. And then Frank Castle immediately goes into crazy town. Um, now, I mean, there's some coercion that Matt expertly picks up on, which, you know, you can save for the appeal or whatever. Um, so he goes, crazy town. Now, Matt does the right thing and asks a ruling by the judge. Um, the candidate has exactly what we would do if we Realties, uh, to have the witness declared adverse, which means then you can cross-examine them, which 
which means you can ask them any question that's leading or whatever in order to elicit the evidence they want. We should explain the difference between direct, like, oh, a cross-examination question and a direct examination question. Right. Yeah, so a direct examination question, we talk about the, the, the five W's, right? You want it, you, they're storytelling questions. Where were you? What time was it? Who else was there? What did they say? What did you hear? Uh, as opposed to a uh, cross-examination question, which was, you were outside the 7-Eleven. You had a gun in your hands. You went in, you pointed the gun. So I'm not even asking questions. I'm giving you a statement, and I'm asking you to agree or disagree. Yeah. This is what I'm better at, theoretically, and my friend is, learned friend, is better at directs, generally speaking, because it's just a practice thing. I do a lot more cross-examination. He does a lot more directs. Okay. So anyway, Matt, greatest player there was, goes, okay, I'm going to just give the guy declared at first, and then I'm going to cross-examine him uh, because I want to get that evidence out of him to, to save his dumbass. Like, that's my job as a lawyer. Okay, we've already gone off the rails in here, so now let's try and pull this back. Uh, so he gets the ruling, and now he goes, okay, I'm going to ask questions, and then launches into his closing argument. Yeah, what was, you just, you're never, I, I don't, again, I don't know about New York, especially Marvel New York, you're hey, not allowed to talk directly to the hey, jury hey, during the examination of New York. I'm a New York boy, I'm just going to talk to the jury here a little bit, don't worry, it's like cross-examination, I declared the witness reverse, it's okay, uh, you know, come on, like, come on, come on, come on. Mr. Stewart, would you like to call any other evidence? What is, hey, hey, let's talk in here. <laughs> No, it's crazy. So he jumps from like one of the sessions of your trial proper to like basically the end. And so maybe there were some time cuts, no no, there could have been time cuts. Uh, but it makes no sense in the context of how you actually practice like, how you actually defend a person by directly addressing the jury and being like, please don't give me my God. Please don't give me my God. Please don't give me my God. <laughs> like, it's insane. Um, and I mean, yes, he, like, if you were to consider this like there was some cross-examination, this is closing argument, he's making an emotional appeal because, as they say, if the facts are against you, you pound the law. If the law is against you, you pound the facts. If the facts and the law are against you, you pound the table. And that's what he's doing. He's going to go on. And so what he's actually trying to do is to encourage the jury to commit what's called jury nullification. And jury nullification is, the jury goes, this guy's guilty of sin. Y'all know it. We know it. They know it. They're confused it. We're still on the final guilty. Um, and that's a function of a functioning jury system because we never, the judge never asks the jury, how did you guys get to that ridiculous decision? They just go, what did you guys think? Guilty, not guilty, and then they go, okay, great. And they, they, that's it. Yeah. There's no investigation into how they got to where they got to. There's no investigation of the reasoning or the thought process or whatever. It is a black box. You put the input in. It spits out the ticket. For jury foreman, I think, because I've never done a jury trial, uh, goes not guilty, and, that, or guilty yeah. and that's it. And so because there's no investigative process into how that decision gets made. And in fact, in Canada, it's illegal to ask a jury. You can't, yeah. Make what do you guys think about? Or you can't, even, you can't even say, like, what do you guys think about jury notification? You can't advance no. that as a thing. No. Uh, so in this case, what he's asking without asking, which is the hallmark of a good um, is to be like, hey, this is an emotional appeal where if you were in this guy's shoes, how would you feel? You'd probably want to be found not guilty for blasting a bunch of scumbags. Right? Right? Right. Side guns, we're cool. Equip my guy. <laughs> so, so for the record, Andrew has called Matt Murdock a good lawyer. Question mark. Yeah. Question. <laughs> yeah, so, and, that's, and that's because the audience, they're assuming, is expecting to hear... Everybody's waiting for the law and order cut from the courtroom back to the next scene. Yeah. Boom, boom, 
Because it, 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 it is a good argument. It's just in the wrong spot. Yeah. So for, for your purposes as a writer, like, do you like the flow of that scene? I can understand definitely where you guys are coming from. And it, it these Netflix shows, they do, like, breeze over a lot of stuff. They got if, it was in, so if it was in a book, they'd be, you know, there'd be a little more detail to it. But at the same time, the whole point is that you're trying to cut out anything that somebody's going to either pause at because, well, I don't quite get this, or, well, this is kind of like exactly what they were just saying 30 seconds ago. Boring. Or, well, I think we already saw this scene. Is this the same scene I just saw 20 minutes ago when they were trying that other guy? All of that stuff, you just have to go chop, 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 right? And thankfully, shows like Law and Order give you that. <laughs> so people are people people are you know trained to expect it that way on these shows. So that's how they do it. Same with the boardroom scenes, right? Yeah. The boardroom scenes. Somebody storms in, has a big proclamation. Everybody on the board goes, "Oh, let's let's vote right now." Yeah, let's, let's vote, vote right now. now. Perfect. You're swinging that fifty-one oh, percent. Okay. <laughs> and perfect segue into. And I'm skipping over some stuff just for the for the sake of time. Iron Fist. I know we have to talk about Iron Fist. Okay. All right. Iron Fist. Yeah. 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 It's really good, yeah it's <laughs> so okay. So Danny Rand. Okay. So the whole thing about Iron Fist is that Danny Rand, he supposedly uh, was declared dead uh, ten years ago uh, in a plane crash with his parents, and then he comes back and he's also the 51% shareholder of Rand Corporation, takes over the company. Right. So that, that's essentially what happens. Okay, so a lot of things wrong with that. Um, okay, okay, just a caveat. I'm not a Wills and Estates lawyer, but I, I have consulted with uh, senior counsel on my firm about uh, the Wills problem here is that, okay, so if his parents were, say, the shareholders and they had in their wills gifted to Danny their shares upon their death, the problem here is that they all were assumed to have died at the same time. Okay, so the shares of his parents would have gone to their re- like uh, the residue of their estate, or they would have they may have gifted it to someone else in case Danny Rand predeceased them or whatever. But let's assume that you know, well, no, not let's assume. But so the problem here is that the, the share should have never ever passed to Danny because he was assumed to be have died along with his parents. Okay. If that's the case, then when he comes back, he's no—he's not all of a sudden walking in and then Joy and Meacham are, are getting all freaked out because he's the 51 shareholder because the shares would have never gone to him. And his his parents' estate would have been administered long, long ago. They, the shares would have been sold. The company would have bought them back or whatever. And you can't just undo those transactions. There is a, a, a principle in law called... Um, an intervening event without notice of defect or malfeasance. Oh, I was hoping you'd be actually, in Latin. No, 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 no Latin here. Uh, <laughs> meaning that you can't just undo those transactions unless, say, like Joy uh, had a hand in causing that plane crash, and then she was the one that bought those shares. But then, then there's malfeasance involved there. So I never saw things the entirety like that didn't happen. There was no like, ha ha, I killed your parents. Like that didn't happen. Uh, no. Okay. No, 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 no. Even then, wouldn't, yeah. the, wouldn't the legal chaos of trying to undo ten oh, years? Yeah, or no, yeah, no, it, it just wouldn't. Work. It just wouldn't work. Yeah, ten that amount of time that pa- passed. 
And then, and then just really, really quickly, okay, let's assume that, okay, let, okay, let, let's set that aside. Okay, it, so he would never have become the 51% shareholder, and we would have had a lot better series, Iron Fist series, right? So, then, then he wouldn't be the rich boy, yeah. So he, he'd have to struggle. He'd be still in Central Park without his shoes. So, yeah. so and in, in the perfect Iron Fist series, they would have cast someone who could actually do his own fights. That's, 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 that's exactly it. Agreed. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so 51%, he's the 51% shareholder. Everyone remember that scene, who have, who, those who have seen this, when he steps into the boardroom, the board of directors are meeting about setting prices for their drugs, and Danny says, no, 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 I'm the 51% shareholder, I'm going to swing my big 51% shareholder D, uh, and overrule all of you. Okay, so uh, as, a, as a corporate lawyer, that, 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 is, that is completely ridiculous in a large corporate setting, because even though he's the 51% shareholder, shareholders, their role is to vote at meetings of the shareholders. That was a board of directors meeting or an officers meeting where they decide operations. However, so that that would have not never happened like that. So the procedure here is that if he's a 51% shareholder, he would have called a special meeting of the shareholders. He would have vote he would have uh, fired all the directors, elected himself as director, appointed himself as the officer or CEO, and then he would have been able to set those drug prices himself. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the same as everything else, right? Do I want to have to explain all that? Or do I want to just, just guess that everybody in this room has seen 8,000 things or read things where the 51% shareholder has that 1% that makes them the ultimate power in the universe? <laughs> <laughs> the people are watching like, oh, they should have called it a meeting of the shareholder. Oh, yes. Well, this is terrible. This is the point where I turn off iron fist. It's like how Moby Dick is like 50% adventure novel, 50% whaling textbook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 this should have been, every other episode should have been just reading from okay. the, the rules of procedure of the New York uh, uh, corporate code. Oh, uh, there it is. <laughs> okay, so I'm not. I'm, 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 Jerry Hogarth. Okay, so um, Jerry Hogarth. Okay, where to start done, with done her? Done very well by Carrie Ann Moss. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic story in, in uh, Jessica Jones season two as well. But uh, let's see. Okay, Jerry Hogarth. I think she's the greatest superhero lawyer ever because she is a, indeed a superhero because she practices criminal law. Oh, that's right. Oh, she practices personal injury, estates law, corporate law, patents. That's right. Patents. That's right. Is there any lawyer in the real world who can ever do all of that? Me. No. <laughs> and the people who try, we kind of have a despair. Like, if people oh, show yeah. up at the, at the criminal courts and they're like, oh, this is my first criminal case, but I have 10 years at the bar, we have disparaging language for them. We they, we, 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 we would call them tax. You know that guy? Oh, no. He's a Okay. And, and then we treat, them, we treat the accused people as if they're self-reps. Because it's just like, oh, man, you're not going to get a good trial with this guy. Sort of. So this is one of those common tropes, like in American shows, where you have the, the lawyer who does all of the law, like all of it, like every last little bit. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, not in the middle well, and, and patent law is a very specialized Yeah, especially patent law. Yeah. The fact that what Andrew and I do and what Gregory does are called the same job is mind-blowing. Yes. Like, they're not. Yeah. We, we could have a conversation about the fundamental principles of the law, yes, but if we, we couldn't share details Absolutely. at all. There's no, there's no common error. So I'm just going to fire through this, uh, Jerry's, uh, just in season two, what she did, okay? <laughs> so, uh, okay, so the firm paid off that some committee, uh, I forget what it was, to give her some kind of lawyer award. Okay, oh, that's one. She, she, she was... Oh, 
<laughs> horrible, horrible man. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> she's she's gonna sue. She's gonna sue her own client, Jessica Jones, representing Chang. The, the, oh yeah, the, the yeah, massive conflict of interest there. Yeah, then the, she unilaterally disobeys Chang's instructions to sue Jessica, oh, yeah. and just decides I'm not gonna sue Jessica after all. Okay, so disloyalty to your own client at the same time having a have conflict of interest. Uh, she, oh yeah, and then she goes on later on the season to solicit, solicit a new client in jail who she knew she was already represented by well, a lawyer right. who spoke, spoke okay. before. And, and she and she promised him that she would get him out of jail. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She did yeah. promise, so yeah. yeah. So I, I know in the, in the U.S. sometimes uh, I think there's some rules that against uh, promising specific legal results. We don't have the exact same rule here, but... Uh, Mr. Stewart, yes? What are my chances to drop? <laughs> Well, I can't give you a, well, just, just a percent. What are my percentage chances? I can't leave. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't. I can't give you anything like that. I can say we have a good case. We have a bad case. We would be successful. We might not be successful. But numbers, guarantees, so you can't promise unre- unrealistic expectations, right? So here she's promising that she will get him out of jail if she heals him. And that's, uh, I don't know if you'd, uh, consideration, no, that's, that's, that's consideration like, for no getting out of jail. No, no, maybe, I, okay, okay. Okay, and then she later threatens to put Shane back in jail regarding other assault charges. I mean, that's massive disloyalty to client, potential breach of privilege. <laughs> Illegally attains a firearm from Turk. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. And, and, and then she was an accessory. Uh, she essentially concocts a story to get Innes to shoot Shane. No, I, I, don't, I don't think she's on the hook for that shooting. Um, okay, right. No, because she, she puts... Well, I mean... Yeah, I, okay, she puts that... Okay, fair enough. I, okay. She puts that girl in that very volatile emotional state yeah. and hands her a gun, which is loaded, and they're right close to the apartment. I mean, that looks bad. Um, but, like, <laughs> she didn't pull a gun, or she didn't pull a trigger, and she had no way of knowing that saying, like, hey, your guy's a cheating guy. Here's all these... Papers that prove it, um, like you know, would put her in that emotion. She didn't know. She was just like, well, I have a gun that I acquired illegally, and I better give it to this person for protection. What? Not guilty. The, 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 defense, <laughs> the defenses for both those characters are actually really interesting because, like, yeah, Jerry has this this sort of like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know defense. I, she didn't know. And Come on. The, the girl she who actually pulls the who pulls the trigger out, and I Innes. 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 Yeah, she Innes. she has the the. Um, Dress. No, self-defense argument. Well, here, imagine your whole Okay, so I mean, right? put if, yourself in her way. If the if the if the the because I'm prosecuting both of yeah, them. Yeah, no, I'm trying to No, so I mean, if if Inez was in a situation where like she has this gun and it's a very volatile situation, and the dude who is a known bad guy, con artist, was like, hey, I'm gonna get real violent, then yeah, maybe she's justified in blasting him. But, I mean, you have this, like, very sketchy, like, hey, why are all the file numbers, or why are all the serial numbers filed off this piece? Like, you know, she might be prosecuted for lesser things, but she may have a very legitimate claim to self-defense, depending yeah. on, because you never know what goes on yeah, in the house. It's like shouting, and then black, black, and you're like, oh, boy, that worked out real well for Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry. And, and the last things about Jerry is that she had an affair with her secretary. She does allegedly. cocaine. No, allegedly. That could have been... Oh, no, what, what, what? Sugar? sugar. Yes, yeah, yeah. Powdered yeah. sugar, okay. And she she hires... She's about to have an affair with her secretary. Yeah, oh, actually, no law society stuff. She might really? No sexual relations with your employees. Yeah. Trusting? Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. That, there, there you go, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, we don't have... We don't have uh, at, at, at yeah, you share... You have, like, one-fifth of an assistant. Yeah, we, yeah, we so. share an assistant. And they're, they have their own... They have a union, and they're, like... They're all separate <laughs> office from us. Yeah. And she hires hookers and has orgies with them back in her. 
department. So is sex work is I mean is that becoming more and more of a normalized thing? I would legislate So is Jerry Hogarth then? The worst lawyer or the best lawyer ever? The best worst lawyer. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, we yeah, are agreed on that. that special category with like Saul from Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's right. Right, right, right. Just like so, yeah. they're, villain, they're villains who so, are incredible at keeping bird, trouble. Bird lawyer, Lionel Hutz. <laughs> Jerry Solomon. <laughs> he's much richer than Saul. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Jerry Saul. Well, no, but Saul's got he's got bank, although. He's got a terrible office. He's got a terrible office. So, so yeah, Axel, what, what, what is the point of the character of Jerry Hogarth? Well, why? why? Yeah, yeah. Give us. I want to hear what you have to say. Well, well, first off, we were talking about how she does all the law, right? Again, if I have to separate those realistically, I have to write like twelve new characters <laughs> that everybody has to keep track of. We got to find twelve actors that can play those convincingly. And we have to have scenes to bring each of them in to handle each of those little things, right? That's right. If I can just slap them all together into one just Jerry ultra lawyer. And in a world where we are. Ultron already, of lawyers. We already, right. have, we already accept hyper competence in this sense. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Like, she's a yeah, super yeah. Or uh, what's her face? The one that. Um, who's Jessica's friend? The terrible one? Trish. 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 <laughs> 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 The, true, the, the real villain of season two. Yeah. Trish, Walker. Trish Walker. Y'all right, right. <laughs> Yeah, by the way. That's right. Ooh, the but, worst. But Trish and Jerry Hogarth serve the same purpose, yeah. storytelling-wise. Because, I mean, yes, you have the main villain, you know, the kind of paper villain that, that the show is, you have the hero fighting, but then there's the kind of ancillary villains that actually move the plot forward. Because they're the ones that are creating these little machinations, and like, these little, like these little, yeah, exactly. And they're the ones that are scheming and moving things along that set up everything for season three, or season oh, yeah. four, or season right. five. It's like in the Avengers movies, all the other Marvel movies, and you've got Thanos just behind the scenes with everything. You see him for ten seconds, but that ten seconds at the end of Avengers, you understand, oh, this is the guy that's actually doing all this stuff. And then another little seed, and another little seed. You get more and more of them until they get to the point where you're going to bring him in as the villain. So, so just just quickly, what is what is the moral of the story for Trish Walker? Be a junkie, get your junkie friend addicted to drugs, do a whole bunch of bad things, almost kill yourself, then bounce a phone on your foot, and you're like, I'm the greatest superhero. Right, and kill, kill, kills her best friend's mother. Kills her best yeah, friend's what mother, is, right? What is her, best friend? <laughs> is her character arc like? I just. And I'm a good person because I can balance a phone on my foot? Like, get out of here! Honestly, honestly, this is terrible the way that I see it. There's a lot of male writers on a lot of these shows, and I know Jessica Jones had female writers, but there's kind of this... There's this tendency now to try and, and write empowered female characters, which is fantastic, and I'm all for that. But then they try and put flaws back into them later on and they end up kind of falling back on these misogynist ideas and turn somebody like Trish into, you know, a psycho bitch or, you know, or have her be so narcissistic that she can't cope with Jessica being a superhero. She needs to be just as good. And they play on all these stereotypical female characteristics that really are awful and insulting. And they just kind of fall back on those naturally for the very same reason that all these other things work so well that we can just, you know, kind of plug in these 
lawyer archetypes and these stereotypes about boardrooms because that's what people expect. That's what a lot of writers just tend to fall back on because that's how we've been inured to tell stories. That's how we've learned to create characters. And a big part of being a writer has to be trying to transcend that and trying to create realistic characters that have multiple levels and have personalities that are more fulfilled than just being another archetype or close to an archetype and then I'll just throw something extra in there to make them awful so that you hate them all of a sudden. And it's easy and you know something like a Netflix show, honestly they've got 12 writers and they're told okay you've got to crack, crank this out in like six months and here's the basic story we want to tell, fill in the blanks, you gotta make her, you gotta turn Trish at the end and have her be the bad guy, because we're gonna use her next year. You know, we're gonna turn her into Hellcat, whatever. Was that? And yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but doing that, a lot of the time, they just get to the point where they're like, okay, well this is what everybody's gonna expect, so we'll just flip-flop this and have her just turn bitchy. And, you know, want to be a superhero, she's going to do all these awful things, she's going to sabotage, she's going to kill him, she's going to get spoiled, sorry. Okay, well, we're, we're quickly learning, we're running out of time here, so how about just uh, starting with Axel, tell everyone uh, where they can find you, uh, and uh, tell them about your, just, just really quickly about your new book there. Sure. Uh, well, this is my last book, which came out in November. It's kind of a, a dark psychological noir meets ghost story. Uh, most of my stuff is either crime or kind of weird fiction. Uh, my publishing company, Coffin Hop Press, we're in Fimo at uh, 1420. Um, again, we do dark crime and weird fiction. I have a bunch of cards here if anybody's interested or come by the table. Um, I had a couple of books here I was going to give away if you guys have some, some trivia questions to challenge these people once we're done. Okay. But uh, other than that, you can find me at uh, coffinhop.com or axelhow.com or just either of those with a hashtag in front of it. And I'm all over the place. Do you still do North Bar? We do North Bar once a year now at the uh, One Words mm-hmm. Live Conference, which is in August, which is kind of a big party at the bar. You come and everybody reads the nasty, dark crime fiction and tries to offend everybody while you get drunk, so it's great. Uh, we do other events. We do one in February called Bloody Offensive, which is the same idea but more uh, toward sexuality. Oh, wow. Um, and we're trying to figure out where and how to do a Halloween event, but all that stuff you can find out about on coffinhop.com. Perfect. Thank you, Axel. Thanks, Andrew, Andrew, real quickly. Andrew Stewart, uh, I have a website that needs to be updated, uh, calvarydefenselot.com. You can see what I look like from 2012. Similar face to different. Um, I, you know, you can, if you have any questions, leave them. Otherwise, you can always reach out uh, info at, and, uh, info at calvarydefenselot.com. You know, anything that arises, whatever, we can formalize that solicitor-client relationship for real if you guys have any Thank you. Adam? Uh, as a public employee, you cannot find me or you should not. <laughs> I cannot give you legal advice. I can only give you legal advice if you're a police officer or a member of Alberta Justice. Um, but uh, if, you, uh, if you're seeing me in court, if you're there to pay a parking ticket and you see me in the hallway, feel free to say hi. I'm happy to chat. Thank you. And Greg, uh, Greg Pang, uh, redframelaw.com or psychlaw on Twitter, your original cycling lawyer. So, uh, sorry, I wanted to open up for a question, but we don't have any time left. Cycling lawyer? Cycling. I, I ride my bike. Oh, okay, nice. anyway. <laughs> okay, anyway, thank you very much. We've never met before today. Just the yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with... Um, yeah, do it. Yeah. Some awesome, awesome music here. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And come up and ask us for if you have any questions. So thank you. Anybody that dances up here, there you go. There you go.